of us today. He's never going to let go. Please be seated. Whatever you're going through, the Lord is right there with you. Again, praise team. Thank you very much. And did you get a chance to introduce a couple of your friends? Okay. Good. Glad to hear it. All right. Let's see. Let's get this thing up to the right height. We have to do it every single Sunday. You'd think I'd know to do it early, but there we go. Now my glasses work for that particular, uh, otherwise it's too far away. Once again, good morning. It's great to have you here. We're uh, just finishing up, as a matter of fact, a very short series. Today's the last one, what we're calling this, Functional Thanksgiving. Functional Thanksgiving. There it is. It was already up there once earlier, and so maybe it just took a little while to bring it back up. There we go. Okay, so... Based on the fact, of course, this Thursday, or actually some, my family actually celebrates a little bit earlier because of, of work schedules, things like that, so our Wednesday will be our Thanksgiving, and, uh, but many people, most people will be Thursday, and you'll sit around the table, and you'll do the, the traditional kind of thing, tell me what you're thankful for, and you know, thankful for my parents, I'm thankful for the home, health, food, and this is the question we've been learning to ask when someone says this is what they're thankful for, this question right here, okay, what are you going to do about it? That's what makes it functional. One day we'll get to that next slide. Are you guys in PowerPoint or are you in... Um, okay. We're having technical difficulties, but it'll still work. All right. What are you going to do about it? We already heard that earlier today, didn't we? Okay. What are you going to do about it? So you're thankful and you're grateful. Great. How does that affect your very life? What are you going to do about being... Does it change anything? It's one thing to feel gratitude. It's another one to apply it to our lives. This is what Scripture says. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? In other words, we sometimes talk a good game, but we don't do anything about it. So you say you have faith in God? Okay, how does that affect what you do? If it doesn't affect anything, then really the faith that you have is pretty meaningless. We want our thankfulness to God to make a difference in how we live and how make a difference in the world. And there are three areas that we've been looking at that we show gratitude. This is that functional gratitude. It's not just hypothetical gratitude. It's functional thanksgiving. And here's the three areas. How I personally treat God, my relationship with his family, and what I do and say in the world. Those are the three areas that really change what we do. This gratefulness, this thankfulness to God affects those three areas. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the very first one. How our thankfulness is expressed in our personal relationship. If you're really thankful for God, it's going to change what you do. Here's what we learned a couple of weeks ago. Ready? Because I'm thankful to God, I will keep him the center of my life. I will stay connected with frequent prayer. I will fill my mind with praise to him. I will join with his church in worship. And I will generously give back to him. This is how it's changing my personal relationship with him. He's not just going to be a part of my life, not even the most important part. He's going to be the center, the hub of the wheel. Everything radiates off of who he is. I want to stay connected with frequent prayers. And hopefully you're learning just all day long, all throughout the day, just a short prayer. Thank you, Father. This is beautiful. That's wonderful. I praise you. And I'm going to fill my mind with praise. Now, it's okay with those frequent prayers to occasionally say, Father, I need help. Please do this. Please do that. The requests are okay. Our Father wants us to bring those requests. But you know, don't just be someone who spends your time asking God for things or complaining to God because something didn't go your way. Fill your mind with praise. Father, you are so good. By the way, for many of us, that's hard to do. Try it sometime. Just try to pray prayers of praise and see how long you can go without asking for something. 
For some people, it's not very long. I praise you. Oh, by the way, I need it. See if you can actually begin just to praise him for who he is. That's kind of a tough prayer for many of us. We join with his church in worship because something special happens when we come together and that pleases him. And we learn to generously give back. So this is what we do for our personal relationship. Now, last week we looked at, because I'm grateful and thankful, I'm going to live out that thankfulness in the church. Here's what we saw last week. Ready? I'm going to fulfill my proper place within the church. I'm going to put the needs of the church over my own. I'm going to look for and help those in the church who are wounded and weak. And I'm going to remember that 1 Corinthians 13 was written to the church family. Okay, I'm thankful to God. I'm grateful to God. I live that out of my personal relationship. But this is his family. These are his people. Because they're his people, I live a certain way with his people and I treat them a certain way. I'm going to find God has called me to a place of ministry within the church, whatever it is. It could be cleaning out the bathrooms. It could be preaching. It could be teaching. It could be watching that somewhere God has called me and he's given me the gift to do it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put the needs of the church over my own, meaning I don't come in and say, what do you got for me? You don't treat the church like a spiritual Walmart. You treat the church as a family. You're going to come in and say, how can I help us all together to become stronger in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to look and help those who are wounded and weak because there are people within the church who go through those times of being hurt. We want to help them. And remember 1 Corinthians 13. It's called what? The love chapter. And you hear it all the time at weddings. And it was not written to husbands and wives. Now, it's not a bad way for husbands and wives to treat one another. But that wasn't his purpose. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I become as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That was written to a church. He said, you know, the best way to speak to one another is in love, mercy, and grace. All right? There we go. This morning, we're going to take that final way, that final functional Thanksgiving approach what I do and say to what we've talked about, what do I do in my personal relationship, how I express my thankfulness to God within the church. Now, how do I express my thankfulness to God in the world out there? And how you see the world is going to determine what you do. Okay? Now, for many of us in the church, this is probably how we see the world. Ready? The world is an evil, seductive, anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Christianity realm of nearly unredeemable people that deserves to be condemned and destroyed. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, there you go. It's amazing how often that's the way that the church kind of portrays the world. And you know what? There's some scriptures that kind of back this up. Let me read them for you right here. John writes, don't love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he is, has and does, comes not from the Father, but from that world. Ugh. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. How about this one? Peter is writing and talks about all that God has given us. and says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them... You may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. James, he writes this. You adulterous people. James had no people skills at all. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy 
No wonder many of us see that world as an evil, seductive, anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Christianity, almost unredeemable group of people who deserve to be condemned and destroyed. And you know what happens when you see the world that way? We become judgmental. We become separate, fearful, so separate that we're afraid almost to do anything out there. I was on staff at a church many, many years ago where the, uh, the church was going to have a, a night at the baseball game. This happened to be the Oakland A's. We were going to go see the Oakland A's together, and I had people come to me and say, oh, we can't go to that baseball game. That's, ready, of the world. How fearful. We, we can't even go to a baseball game because we might get corrupted and tainted and I'm going to walk away less of a Christian because I went to the game. If the world is that way, then here's a question, ready? Here it is. Why does he keep us here in this evil, horrible, dangerous world? Have you ever asked yourself, oh, Father, why don't you just take us home? Just get us out of this. The world is falling apart. It's terrible. They hate us. Just take us home. Did you ever kind of pray that prayer? Let me tell you why you're here. Because Jesus specifically prayed that you would stay right here. This is what Jesus prayed. When he's praying for us, he said, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. Jesus said, Father, all of my followers, I want you to keep them right here on this earth as long as you can. I want you to protect them, but don't. Take them away. We're here in this evil, rotten, horrible world because Jesus wants us to be right here. That's his will. And if we're having trouble rec you know, reconciling those two things, why would God want us to stay in this terrible place? Probably it has to do with this idea right here. It's the idea of the word world. Because that word actually means lots of different things. And I'm going to show you that. That scripture talks about world and uses the word world in two completely different ways. In one respect, it's a very evil thing that we need to be aware of. In another respect, it's not at all. You see, when we're reading the Bible, sometimes our English language kind of gets in the way. And we think that one word means the same wherever it goes. And it doesn't work like that. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. See, when we're talking about the world, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the evil world. That's the thing we really want to stay from. And the evil world does not mean creation, okay? Creation is not evil. Creation can't be evil. Creation is a thing. As a matter of fact, God loves his creation. Take a look at this. You know this, this passage very well. God saw all that he'd made, and it was very good. And there was evening and morning, and it was the sixth day. In other words, God said, look at the beauty of the world I made it is good. It is not evil. And when we're talking about the evil world, we're not talking about people either. The evil world doesn't mean people. And there's where we get confused. We think of evil as evil people. We need to stay away from them and condemn them. Run from them. Do you understand that God loves his creation, but do you understand that God loves his people? 
were his greatest creations. Let me show you right here. You know this passage. You've got it. For God so loved what? The world. Now, does he mean that horrible world? Remember, it already told us to stay away from the world. It already told us that the world is evil. It already told us that the world will take us away. It already told us that the world is corrupt. Why would God love that? He doesn't. He's not talking about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, world whoever, if he was talking about the world as a thing, he would have said so that whatever, here the world means all the people of the world. And God loves them so very much. So very much. When we're talking about that evil world, we're not talking about people. The key to understanding that world concept, the fact that in one section the scripture says that the world is evil and horrible and rotten, you need to stay away from it. And other times the, the Bible says that the world is wonderful and God loves that world. Is this passage right here. And I want you to remember, if you haven't memorized this passage, you need to. It's going to explain so much in your life right here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Stop. Did you think people were the problem? You did, didn't you? You thought it was those rotten leaders of ISIS, those terrible criminals down the road, those drug addicts, those dictators. That's the problem. Those rotten people. Those atheists that try to take away our rights. Those rotten did you read this passage one more time? For our struggle is not, stop, not against the dictators and the criminals and the drug dealers. And it's not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There is an enemy. There is an evil world out there. But it's not the world that you can see, and it is not people. It's a power that you cannot see at all. That's the evil world that we fight against. Not creation, and not a people. When we talk about functional thanksgiving, being able to show gratitude to God and how we live the world, what we do and we say to the world, this is what we're talking about. The world is a collection of broken people loved by God and in need of the good news. That's the world that we're going to be dealing with. The other world, the evil world, the world that God already talked about in some of the scriptures we saw, that's a world we pray against. That's a world we fight against with our spiritual weapons that he's already given us. But the world that we're talking about, to be able to go out and show gratitude, to live out thankfulness, is just a collection of broken people loved by God and need the good news. Get ready to write this down. Ready? Here it is. This is my Father's world. See, you... Many times we think, oh, this world belongs to Satan. This is Satan's world. No, it's not. This is my father's world. He created it. He owns it. And he never gave the deed title over to Satan. It's his. This is my father's world. When we see this world as a horrible, evil, rotten place, that we're kind of pulling away from and we don't really engage in and we kind of 
separate ourselves so that we're all just a nice little Christian community without any kind of interaction with the world. We're forgetting that this whole world belongs to God, and you've got to be careful what you criticize. If it belongs to Him, be careful what you say. Take a look at this passage. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all, okay? When it says all, what do you think it means by the word all? I think it means all. Not Christians, not whites, not Europeans, not Americans. All who live in it belong to him. Now, many people are in rebellion, but it doesn't change the fact that he loves them. See, he's the one who made them all, and he's the one who created this. He is the creator. It belongs to him. So if this world belongs to God, how did it get to be in such a mess? Right? Come on. It, you have to admit that the world is a mess. How did it happen? Well, do you remember that passage? Our battle is not against people, but against another power altogether. Take a look at this passage here. This is really... The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That power that we fight against with those spiritual weapons. That power has actually blinded the minds of so many people. So they don't even acknowledge God or they acknowledge an incorrect idea of God and therefore they live it out. The problem isn't that these are evil, rotten people. The problem is that they've been deluded. And Satan has been able to blind them. Take a look at this passage as, we, as uh, Paul was writing to the church. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay, that's what you used to be, in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Okay, now let's see if we can paint this whole picture. Sometimes we get really mad at people. Sometimes we really see them as the problem. It's those criminals, it's those drug addicts, it's those atheists, it's the dictators, it's whatever it is. Those rotten people. Don't you understand what's going on? There is an enemy. And that enemy has blinded the eyes of those people. That enemy has actually enticed these individuals to walk away from God and to follow their own desires. And we all were like that once. Every single one of us. Nobody is born in that right relationship with God. We're born apart from Him. And we listen to the spirit of the air, whatever you want to call Him, the enemy, and that's the real Now I know why Jesus prayed to keep me here. Now I understand it. You see, there's so many things that I could do better in heaven. So many things that, that are much better up there. 
For instance, worship. I like to worship, but you think, don't you think, the, no, no offense to the worship band because I think you're great, but I have a feeling that the worship bands up there are going to be better, okay? And the preaching is going to be a whole lot better. We all know that. As a matter of fact, I believe that what's going to happen is uh, once we all get up there and, and it's all done, that God is going to take all of us preachers together, all of us, and he's going to gather us together. And we think we're going to get our, our reward, don't we? Oh, yeah. And what he's going to do is going to preach at us <laughs> for about a million years. And for the last 100,000, he's going to say, and finally, my point is, and my last point is, and just bore us to tears. Say, okay, payback time. I know. I can love, the, I can be a better person up in heaven, a better friend, and a better Jesus follower, but that's not where I am. How about this? The only thing that we can do better here than in heaven share Jesus with the lost. There's nothing else. See, once I'm up there, I can't share Jesus with the lost. The lost won't be there. I can't do it. I've missed every opportunity I've ever had. It's done and it's over. I can worship well. I can pray well. I can learn well. I can be better, but I can't share with the lost. That I can only do And all those people that sometimes were so mad at them because they're so evil and do so many rotten things are just simply deluded, blinded people who need the message of grace and love and mercy. And the only way I can do that is to stay right here. And that's why Jesus said, Father, don't take them out of the world. There's just way too many lost people out there. Keep them right here because the world needs to know. That's why Jesus said this, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by the baptism of the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you, and I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day right up until the end of the age. That's why you're here. Actually says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's why you're here. If I wanted you to praise well, I'd take you home because you can do that better there. I'll even give you a voice that sounds good. How's that? But I need you here. Because there's only one thing you can do down here better than you can do up there. There are so many blinded, deluded people. They don't get it just like you didn't get it for a while. And someone's got to tell them. And that's why you're here. So here we go. How do we express this thankfulness to the world, to God, as we live within this world? We're thankful to Him. I live out my personal relationship in a way. I live out my relationship with the church, but I also live in the world a certain way. Here it is. This is my Father's world. And because I am grateful to God, I will, ready, not condemn the world for two reasons. Okay? Stop condemning the world. Here are two reasons. First reason is this. Because Jesus didn't condemn the world. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have ever... What's John 3.17 say? The very next verse. It says this, 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Okay, if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, we have no right to condemn the world. If anybody had a right to condemn the world, it's him. He created it. It's been messed up. He has the right to say, what a rotten world. I hate your guts. Instead, he doesn't. He says, I love the world so much, I'm going to do everything I can to reach them. When we condemn, let's make sure that we condemn the forces of wickedness, the power that is in the air, Satan, that spiritual power that is trying to delude people, trying to blind their eyes. That's what we condemn. That's who we fight. But when we see the world as that horrible, evil, rotten place, we pull away, we condemn, we say stupid things about the world that embarrass our Father and do nothing to open people's eyes. I'm not going to condemn the world. There's another reason, by the way, that we don't condemn the world. First of all, Jesus didn't, and if he didn't, you don't. But how about this? Because we used to be like them. We did. We just had our eyes open. Thank you, Father. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we're better or prettier, smarter, richer, whiter, more American. It has nothing to do with that. Why my eyes? I can't tell you all of that. I don't have all the answers. Just know that there was a time I was blinded, and then suddenly I could see and I understood. This is what Scripture says. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. Let me give you an example. I had a great conversation with Jackie Barker earlier because we were talking politics and other things. We were talking about how we were both so disappointed in how some people behaved in Portland after the uh, election. And I'm not excusing behavior at all. I was disappointed. I think it was horrible. The, uh, not just the, the protest. That's one thing, just to, to be able to protest. That's one of our rights. But it was all the damage that was done. I got calls from relatives who lived other places saying, what's going on in Portland? Because it just made the national news. And it made me angry. I'm still upset about it. I'm not justifying what they're doing. Until I realize, and that's what I hate about preaching and doing study for sermons. You have to listen to it for, you know, 40 minutes. I live with it all week long. I used to be like that. Now, okay, I never walked through the streets and smashed windows. I didn't do that. But my disobedience to God took on a completely different form. It was still disobedience to God. Do you think that my disobedience to God was somehow holier and better than the disobedience where people smashed windows? I used to think that way. Whatever I wanted to do. It's the way I, I lived my life. Now, maybe it was all in a more socially acceptable context... But we're not talking about what's socially acceptable. We're talking about what is God acceptable. 
And disobedience is disobedience. And as those protesters did those horrible things in the streets of, so I used to do horrible things. I was deluded. I was blinded just as they are. And I needed to see the light of Jesus Christ just as they do. So I don't condemn. Instead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live well in the world. Now, let me explain. I don't mean live it up in the world. I'm not telling you to go out and you know spend money that you don't have. I'm talking about living well. I'm talking about a way that you live in the world that's a good way to live, that actually brings praise and glory and honor. You live well so that people can say, you know what, man, that's a lifestyle I'd like to have. And I don't mean because you've got a lot of money, but because your relationships are healthy and you seem to be healthy and you're emotionally healthy. And, and that's what I want in my life. You live well in the world. Live like, like you've got a, a Jesus bumper sticker on your forehead, okay? Have you ever seen those cars? Because people, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot or whatever. You know, I'm a Christ follower. And then the car's doing 20 miles over the speed limit and turning and making all these, breaking all these traffic laws. You go, oh, man, just take the bumper sticker off, okay, until you learn how to drive in such a way that you won't dishonor. You ever see those trucks that say, how am I driving? You know, give that phone number. How am I living for Jesus Christ? Pray about it. Talk to my father. Tell me how I'm doing. I want to live well. I don't want to bring shame to Jesus. I don't want to bring dishonor to him. I want to live well. Because Jesus told me this. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. You can't do it. You got the bumper sticker on your forehead that says, Jesus, whether you want it or not. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the same way. That's how I want you to live. I want you to live in a way that your light will shine before men and they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Say, you know what? The reason I'm attracted to Jesus Christ is because I see in Jesus' followers a lifestyle that is really attractive to me. And unfortunately, that hasn't always been the case. I want to live well. And then I want to do this. I want to be ready to give him the credit. Okay? I always want to be ready. When I live well, if anybody were to say to me, why are you living so, this is good, what's going on? I want to be able to say, he gets the credit, it's not me, I'm not smarter, I'm not better, I'm not more intelligent, I'm more educated, that's not what's going on here. He gets the credit. This is what scripture says. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts in the, at attention and adoration before Christ your master. Be ready to speak and to tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you do and always with the utmost courtesy. Did you notice that last part? Always with the utmost courtesy. Let me tell you what happened this week. I um, went to a coffee shop. Uh, I spent Tuesday down at the courthouse doing some things that I normally do once a month and uh, uh, I had to go to the courthouse for lunch because... Chelsea, as I told you last week, now has a driver's license, and she took my car. So she was at school, and I didn't have a way to have lunch. So I went to this little coffee shop, and um, by the way, Chelsea's gone all week long. No accidents. Way to go, Chelsea. <coughs> Thank you. Yes. Here we go. So I go to this coffee shop, and, um, and she's ringing up. I get a sandwich, and I get a, a, a thing of vegetables, and I get a soda fountain drink, and and uh, she says, okay, 
and gives me the price. And um, I said, whoa, um, that price isn't right. And you know, you can see her. And I said, you, that's way too small. You didn't charge me for something. And she looked, sure enough, she didn't charge me $2.40 for the soda. Now, I was ready. <laughs> if she had said something like, man, we appreciate that. She didn't say appreciate that. Well, you know, most people won't do that. I don't know why you could have gotten walked away and saved $2.40. Why? I was ready to say, let me tell you why. Because I'm a Christ follower, I live differently. And I, I'm not here to cheat you out of money. I don't see it as a victory, even if it's a penny. I want to do what's right in the world because I follow Jesus Christ. I was so ready to say that. She didn't ask. <laughs> now, I could have barged in and said, well, that's because... And you know, it would have been pompous. It would have sounded like, don't do that, Okay. If anybody asks, you can be ready to go. But you always do it with courtesy. You don't force your way in. You don't try to show that you're just so superior. It doesn't work. It isn't going to help. It gets in the way. But you have to be ready if they ask. One final thing then. In sharing in this thankfulness, I'm thankful to God and I'm going to show it in my personal life. I'm going to show it in the church. And I'm going to show it out in the world. I'm going to do it by not condemning the world. I'm going to live well before in the world so that I hopefully people will notice and maybe ask some questions. When they do, I'm going to be ready with an answer. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to share the message of God's mercy and grace because that's what they really need to hear. There's a reason that what we've received from God is called good news. Take a look at this passage. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you say that with me? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So why aren't they saved? Paul goes on to tell us why. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard of? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And they don't mean sermon. And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, have you ever looked at a foot? I mean, really, a foot. They're pretty disgusting things, really. Weird. Little things sticking out. Some people have short toes. Some people have long toes. Some people don't trim their toenails. That's really bad. Just, And it's as stinky as part of you. I mean, you really got to work hard to make sure that your feet don't stink. And if you've ever been around some teenage boys, um, you know that it, it can. I made one guy, this is... We went camping. I was youth retreat. I made him sleep with his feet stuck outside the tent <laughs> all night long because my eyes were watering from the stench. Feet. And then God says, you know what? When you're ready to share the good news, even the stinkiest, ugliest part of who you are becomes so beautiful because you bring good news. And you're able to share with someone why there's mercy and grace. Book of Corinth says this, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. And God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. 
We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and to enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. You understand? You know why you're here? Do you know why he left you? Do you know why Jesus said, I want you to keep them right here? Because there's only one thing we can do that really we can't do it here. We get to share the good news and say, you know what? I live the way I do because I'm a Christ follower. And because I'm a Christ follower, my Father's forgiven me. And the same thing can happen to you. You, I used to teach classes, by the way, um, on evangelism, and it was all filled with theology, and I could teach you all the theology, and I could teach you how to present it. I could either give you a little book, The Four Spiritual Laws, or I could run you through the whole uh, evangelism explosion routine where I would teach you the theology and all the arguments, and you could wow people with how brilliant you were in arguing, but you know what? It, it was not nearly as effective as we wanted it to be because it's, it's theology, and that's not what they're looking for. You want to know how to share the good news? What's God done for you? You ever left really good feedback for something on Amazon? Leave really good feedback for God. You buy something on Amazon, say, man, this was the greatest advice I ever had. It was wonderful. It worked really well. Same thing. Let me tell you what God is and what he's done for my life. And here's some great words to learn. And then we'll be done. I don't know. Here it is. I don't know. Well, how did it all work? I don't know. But why does God... I don't know. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to explain God. He's a big boy. He doesn't need your help. I don't know how it works. I don't know why, I don't know why he does this. I don't know why this is... I don't know these things. Here's what I know. I once was blind, but now I see this is what I know. I, I follow my own way and my life fell apart and I turned to Jesus and he's made, remember the song, something beautiful, something beautiful. I, I don't know anything else. I know this. Through Jesus Christ, I have a relationship with my father. My life has totally changed around and he wants one with you as well. That's all I know. Would you take it? That is why we're still here.